everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Stephen from Sea Fashion Guru. Stephen is a full-time reseller. He sells on Poshmark and eBay. He has a YouTube channel and is my go-to when finding new brands or to discuss the latest runway fashion trends. Today, Stephen and I are going to discuss what it means to be a volume seller, how to pivot from your curated closet to liquidation, what that entails, and what method of reselling provides him with the most success. See you at the table. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for coming on Thrifters Villa and chatting with me. Lori is not here. She is enjoying her weekend. We are recording in advance for the next episode, which is always nice because I don't want to do anything next weekend. I have a long weekend from work. So this was my way to get ahead of the game. But um, I'm so excited to talk to you because I talk to you all the time on Instagram, but like to sit face to face with someone, it's so nice to just have that human interaction like really see you in the expressions and everything. And I know we have a lot of things in common and very different business models and structures. And it's so interesting to me to learn about what other resellers, successful resellers are doing in the community. So some people in the audience may not know who you are. So I wanna give this opportunity to you to share a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I always love jumping on a podcast and like talking to people. Um, it helps to break up my week because sometimes I get super focused and I, I know I need to get out and be social once in a while. Um, but I've been reselling since August of 2019. So almost two years. Yeah, I guess. Um, and I've been full time for that between a year and a half now. So most of my reselling career has been full time. Um, I made the jump very quickly after I started and realized that, oh, I can actually make a living doing this. And I was able to leave my uh, my job working for a consulting company, which was fun, but um, it became very stressful. And I don't do well with politics within the office environment. I learned hey, very tell quickly. Tell me about politics. I work for the state. <laughs> tell me all about it. <laughs> right? <laughs> like politics and people, like I can navigate to a point, but some of it is just like, I'm like, why are we fighting? Why are you guys fighting about this? It makes no sense. Like, yeah. I don't understand. So I'm happy that I only have to fight with myself uh, now for the most part, which is wonderful. Um, before that, I mainly worked in retail most of my life. Um, so I finally did graduate college in 2014. Um, I'm on the older end of a spectrum. So it took me like 25 years to finish college. <laughs> so I finally did it. <laughs> um, so I'm not a spring chicken anymore, but that's okay. Um, but I started working at Starbucks. Um, I've worked at Apple, J. Crew, uh, Lucky, um, Lululemon. Which, okay, which was your favorite out of all the retailers that you worked at? Oh, Apple. Um, I was. I was going to say, I bet you it's Apple. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was amazing. Um, I started there right before the iPhone was launched. Um, and then I was there for the iPhone, iPad launches. And then my I ended my career in retail at Tiffany's and Lululemon. Um, and Lululemon, they're crazy. I worked there six months before I had to quit because they were a cult, but we don't need to go into that. Um, a lot of controversy <laughs> with Lululemon employees. Yes, yes. So, so it was fun. So I have a huge retail background, um, which has helped me to be very beneficial. Mm -hmm. And my degree is in accounting. And my last job I had, 
was basically managing all the finances and operations for a small consulting firm. Um, so with all of those things combined, it was a lot of learning lessons that has helped me be successful as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously specifically within reselling that I've always had an eye for clothing and fashion and I've enjoyed it as well as um, like my partner is a fashionista. I like to say I'm the boring one in our relationship and his closet is curated to a T and it's just fantastic. That's all yes, I can say. Very about unique it. pieces. The things that you've shown me is just <laughs> he he knows fashion. Oh yeah, he knows fashion. Like today was this really beautiful uh caftan with these beautiful shoes just to go to the grocery store. So I say if you're gonna dress up, dress up for the grocery store. Because why not? What else are you gonna wear? Like it's just sitting in your closet, pull it out. So it's so true. Yeah. We just had a conversation with um, Dion, and uh, she is such a fashionista, and she was basically saying the same thing, like, just wear it, you know, just wear that piece, wear the bright colors, wear whatever you want, because it's it's in your closet, you obviously like it, you want to you want to rock it, so do it. And, you know, I think about that sometimes, and maybe because I'm always in professional clothing, or business casual clothing, that, like, I get stuck in that, like, nudes and neutrals and blacks and you know like that's my closet and then when I put color on or I wear something fun I'm like oh does this look okay I don't I don't know like you know did am I am I too old for this because you know 34 is old here not it's young but <laughs> <laughs> but but in my brain I'm like well I'm 34 now is this okay to wear like it's such a crazy it's a crazy thing because I love fashion. I've always loved fashion. I love you know researching and learning about designers and all that stuff. And I um, I just I love colors and patterns, but for myself, I struggle because of that professional life that I have. It's really hard. Yeah. Especially it's a hard balance. It is, especially being a state employee. Like there's just you just have to be careful about certain things, you know, when you go out and all that kind of stuff because you are a, a, you work for the public. So um, people can look you up at any time. They can see everything about you. It's all transparent, right? And yeah, um, yeah so it's just really hard to get out of there because I used to wear when I was younger, like in my early, late teens, early 20s, like neon colors. I mean, this is also the early 2000s. So like neon and every, like <laughs> I wore it. I loved color and then I became a grown up. Right. And then we lose it. I feel like I'm getting more adventurous as I get older. Yeah. Because I just don't care anymore for the most yeah. part. And so I'm taking more risks and wearing things that I wouldn't have worn before, which is fun. So I'm excited. I don't know. I feel like I'm just going to be one of those old men on the stoop, like dressed to a T and like throwing <laughs> things at children. <laughs> I love that. Um, I like that you mentioned too about your retail experience because I have a lot of retail experience as well. I worked in retail for 15, 16 years. Um, and a good portion of it was working at Walgreens. But when I worked at Walgreens, I was one of the merchandisers. So I would go into all the new stores that they were building. I would set up all the displays. I would help create all the different planograms uh, where the stuff would be going on the shelves, depending on you know, the location of the store. Um, I primarily worked in the beauty department there and went for different classes about beauty and the products coming out and all the different brands and learning about them and meeting with the reps and all that kind of stuff. Um, I worked in the bridal industry, which is like a whole nother Ooh. ball game. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was one of the top sellers in the United States. It was like in the top 10 for bridal, which wouldn't surprise a lot of people given that I like to talk and you know, I can sell. Um, I should have probably gone into either being an attorney or being a car salesman because I'd be making right. money right now. 
<laughs> but I did really well with that. But that was, that's where I really started learning about um, styles and how to, how to blend different looks together and how to make different looks happen and taking what the bride was saying and, and you know, really piecing things together. And I, at that point, when I started working in the bridal industry, because at first my brain was always, and I was going to school to be a teacher during all this. Um, but in retail, my brain was always in the beauty world. And my goal at one point was to work for Chanel because they did approach me um, to oh. work for Chanel in Boston, the beauty, um, the counter for Chanel and then work in their corporate. And I turned it down because I was going to school and I kick myself every day for that, but I digress. Right. Cause I would it's be in a always completely a different place. <laughs> yeah. I'd be in a really different like I had Louis Vuitton approach me one time and like I talked to them for like a few weeks and I didn't do it and I don't know why. Um, this it's, was, yeah. It's just the place in our life at the time. Like it just wasn't the right time for me to go down that way. And then, you know, you can always say what if, what if, but it was nice to be recognized by such a prestigious brand, right? Like that, that was yes. nice. But being in the, in the bridal world made me realize that someday I want to own a store. I always used to say that I want to own a store, clothing. I want to be able to dress people of all different sizes, but I never knew what that meant. Um, and I always used to resell. So resell wasn't anything new to me. I used to always take things that I wanted and didn't want anymore and flip them and then buy things that I wanted. I always did that, but I didn't know this was a job. I had no idea yeah. it even existed, right? Um, so it's funny how reselling comes into our lives. Like for me, it was really the bridal world and learning that I can help people and create a store of my own and then finding Poshmark and all these different things. Yeah. But I think retail in general plays a big part if you have a retail background in how you run your business as a reseller. Yes, absolutely. And I had no idea about reselling until two years ago. Yeah. Like I was not on my radar. I didn't know that. Like I knew I could take things to like Crossroads or Buffalo and yeah. they would take my items and they always took my items. And I was like, okay, sweet. But I never knew there was actually platforms. Like obviously I heard of eBay, but I never right. actually sold on eBay. And I didn't like my very first item I ever sold on Poshmark was from the bins. And it was my very first, like, I didn't even go to thrift stores before then. I ended up going to the bins because I was watching YouTube videos and I was like, I, I was trying to figure out how to make money to pay off my student loans mm. um, on the side and mm -hmm. supplement my income. And literally one day I was watching, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go to this bin and check it out. And I went to the Seattle Goodwill outlet and I had like 15 items most of them were women's, a few were men's, and I ended up just leaving with the men's. One was a band of outsiders, which is still a good brand to pick up if you find it out in the wild. Um, I just had three of them and they all sold within a month oh, for wow. 20 to $40. So band of outsiders, um, it's a men's shirt, a Patagonia like polo, which I didn't realize had a hole on it until I got home and it still sold within a week for $10, which I was like, people buy something with a hole I don't understand yeah. <laughs> and um I forgot what the third item was but you know I sold it within the first item sold within two days of me posting it I was like oh okay I just made $30 off of this item that I barely paid anything for yeah it's so fascinating because the reseller community is such like a underground community I feel like it's becoming a little more mainstream now but if you go back two years ago it was underground like no one really knew this community existed Unless yeah. you were like a hardcore eBayer, because I feel like eBay community has been around for a long time. But in terms of Poshmark, very underground. Like it's just now 
up and coming. You see it in commercials, you see it on different articles on Google. Like, I feel like it's something that's talked about a lot more. Um, but when you went to the bins the first time and you started doing this whole process, when did you realize like this, this is what I'm going to do. Like right now I'm making some extra money, but I think this is what I want to do with my life. Yeah. So I started going to the, what that was May by August, I was making a plan to go full time. Wow. So within literally three months, I was making a plan on how I can do this full time and how to pivot towards it. And on the first week of September, I gave three week notice at my job or not, th- not three weeks, three month notice. Cause oh, wow. I was, that was only really nice of my- you. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was only like 30 people at my company and I was the only person who did my job. Um, mm-hmm. And so I knew we would have to find a replacement and I would have to train them and they treated me really well. It was, yeah. it was a really great company. And like, I started off as um, this basically as the admin for the whole company, like green people. And then I ended up as the finance and operations director. So I had a good trajectory within the short, within the five years I was there. And I just wanted to make sure that they were treated well before I left. Um, But yeah, within basically three months of reselling, I had a full plan on how to go full time and how to ramp up because I realized the only thing that was holding me back from making more money was time Yeah, and devoting time and figuring it out. And, um, and it's been a journey since. I mean, obviously I'm still full time. Um, and I'm even I, through the pandemic, which we can totally even talk through. About. Yeah. Which we, yeah. Which is actually, that was actually really easy to make it through, which I know it sounds weird in terms yeah. of reselling. Um, and that was just, which we'll talk about that volume specific that happened last year and how basically the opportunity that was available last year is not available this year. So it's actually more difficult this year to resell than it was last year. That's fascinating. All right, let's talk about it. So pandemic happens and most full-time resellers panic a little because right. So how am I going to get, how am I going to get the product that I need? Now it doesn't matter if you're reselling clothing, you're reselling electronics. It doesn't matter what you're reselling. reselling How am I going to get all these goods that I need? Because Amazon sellers had an issue too. Everything was shut down. How am I going to fulfill things that I need? Factories are shut down. Everything is closing. Yep. And the reseller community did something that um, I don't think a lot of resellers really did in general was they, or they did it on occasion was they started looking at liquidation. And at this point stores were closed. So they were like, okay, we have a lot of inventory that we need to, we, we got to make money. Like we need to move. Yep. We have no, we have no idea how long this is going to last. At first we're thinking like a couple weeks and then a month goes by. And then two months goes by and nothing is changing and things are getting worse. Yeah. Insert Steven now going into liquidation. So what was like, what was your thought process in all this? Cause you weren't a volume seller in the sense that you were during the whole, during the pandemic, like you so actually volume, right? Or no, I did. So basically, so December, ha- so actually let's, let's go back before the pandemic started. So December, I was doing a lot of retail arbitrage. I was doing the bins. Um, and I was already starting to look at liquidation and researching liquidation and to figure out how I can do that to supplement my business. I actually ordered my first pallet of liquidation in January. Okay. So I actually jumped into liquidation before COVID hit and everything shut down. Um, so my first pallet that I ordered was a thousand items unmanifested that was delivered to my apartment complex. It gives me anxiety. And- <laughs> Yeah. And it was this apartment complex. I talked to the owners of the building. I was like, Hey, I have this coming. I plan to have it 
within four or five hours, like emptied out and taken away and everything. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Um, they worked with me really. So I worked with them and I was able to do that. So I found liquidation and started buying it before everything switched over. So I felt like that I had a leg up in which was mm. beneficial. And I did that research before. Um, but I feel like before I we dive further into that, like what is liquidation and where is it? So I feel like there's two different levels of liquidation. There's one that I call Instagram liquidation, um, which is basically B&G, Quick Lots, Joe Mar, um, Boutique by the Box. Those places are what I call Instagram liquidation. And whenever you think a lot of, of controversy, sorry, so much con no, it is every, every single one of them so far has had some sort of controversy and it's like, they come and go. Um, but I always think of it as like, they are a business. Their job is to make money. Every single liquidation company, it, their job is to make money. Correct. They are the middleman between usually a large retailer or a wholesaler and us as resellers. And so the original people get their cut, the liquidation people get their cut, and then we get, we're paying them to get that. And so you're paying a premium up to it, but their goal is to make money. And I feel like sometimes we forget that mm -hmm. as we're like buying and searching, but that's what their job is. And their job is to try to make as much profit as possible off of as much inventory that they can move through their door, right? Um, through it. So there's the Instagram liquidation, which that is their model and they get it and they piece it through. So they're usually sorting through, they're creating smaller lots, which usually will increase the price per item when you're doing that. When you go and you find a source directly, um, like you can buy directly from major department stores. Uh, there's ways to do it. Um, it's not easy. We're not easy. gonna tell you how, so don't no. ask. <laughs> yes, um, I, what I will tell you is, um, don't be afraid to call. Don't be afraid to reach out. LinkedIn is your friend. Like, be persistent. Like, if you've ever had a sales job, you, you're always going to get no the first time, but keep mm -hmm. on trying because eventually you'll get a yes. Um, and there is inventory out there. There are many full-time retailer retailers I know who are still getting amazing liquidation from sources that people have no idea. So it is out there and it's because they've been persistent. They took the initiative to go out and try to find it. And they may have secured it so that nobody else can jump in and take mm -hmm. that liquidation from them. Because I know that's out there and it happens. Um, and so, and it's kudos and it's because they've worked hard to do that and to create those relationships to yeah. get there. But last year, um, so talk about Instagram, was the other liquidation. So one of the sites is called Stock, which I am 100% I will talk about because one, what happened last year with COVID and as things were closing down, that source, which I was using, which was B-Stock, they, all these stores that are on B-Stock had all this excess volume and they didn't have people coming into their stores and they had to get rid of that inventory somehow. So when I first started buying items from B-Stock, it was like maybe two pallets a week that they were posting for some of the different, um, they ended up going up to almost 80 to 200 pallets a week for some of these sites, some of these companies that were posting on there. Um, and that is not the case today. Um, but last year, that was the case. And so there was a period of time when at the beginning of March and April, where I was able to buy pallets for $1,500 to $3,000 each. So that in each pallet would have 500 to 1,000 items in it. 
And because people weren't going to their stores, they were mostly new with tag items. Right. And so when I say retailing, like reselling last year was easy, it was easy because I would just order a pallet. They would deliver it to my door. I would sort through it and I would sell it. Mm-hmm. And that's all I did last year. I didn't have to think about it. I would just go and order it, deliver it, list. Um, that, that's a simple way. We'll get in a little bit more about like yeah. all the inventory that you got. But that's to me was how my life was really easy and I didn't have to, which was actually great because like depression and all these other things entered into life last year. So, um, you know, so I was able to make a full-time income last year and be successful and many resellers were because yeah. we had this opportunity that we may never have again into that capacity because of everything else that was going on. Yeah, and I think it's important to note too is these big businesses like a Macy's, a Nordstrom, right? Big department stores, they have a quota they have to meet every quarter. And the yeah. only way to meet that quota was to liquidate everything in their stores. And that happened when everything started to reopen, right? Last yeah. year, when everything started to slowly reopen last year, the stores were allowed to open. It was around here, I think it was, when was it? June or July, when things slowly started to be able to open, it was like very limited hours. I mean, there were a lot of restrictions, but they were slowly able to be open. Everything was liquidated in the store as well. So they had to go through seasons worth of clothing. And this was the easiest way for them was we're going to throw in a box. Here's the price. We need to at least make our cost back. That was the goal of every retailer. I got to make my cost. That's it. Yep. Last year was a loss for a lot of companies. A lot of businesses are no longer with us because of it. And it's, it's very sad when you think about it, especially if you have a love for retail and, and fashion, all these different things. We, we've lost a lot of great small businesses, big businesses, you know, maybe they'll come back, who knows. Um, but that was their bottom line. Who made out? At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The resellers in that situation, you got amazing items. Amazing items. New attack. Multiple pieces which you were able to either sell yourself, send it off to consignment. I mean, there were so many options available that I feel like resellers who went that liquidation route made more money than they ever would have last year if it wasn't for those pallets. Would you agree? Would you um, for last year, probably. And it was still because I was new and figuring things out. Um, I also, I don't like, I didn't make tons of money. Well, let's just say that like you're reinvesting. Yeah. Like I made less money last year than I did working in 2006. Let's just say that. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not like I had a huge income, um, that I was replaced, but I was able to survive. And that was the main thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt like I did work, but I didn't have to overthink the work, but it also wasn't like, I just, it wasn't just like magic that money appeared and that there wasn't a lot of things that I had to think about uh, when it came to it, because when you get a pallet, you get, you never know what you're going to get, especially if it's unmanifested, which were the majority of them. So you can get one, it could be all returns. You can get one, it could be all new with tags. 
And you may think, oh, you just got a whole palette, all new of tags, which is great. But when you actually break down what's in the palette, you could, there was one palette I received where I had a hundred items of the exact same thing. God. <laughs> and what it wasn't a good item. <laughs> I don't know. I still have some in storage. So I still, I still have some. So like, just because you get liquidation, part of it, like, yes, there's going to be gems in it. There's going to be fantastic items that are in that, that you're going to be able to move quickly and to sell through. But then you're also like, I have all these items, what do I do with it? And part of it is trying to figure out how to move items in creative ways. So at the very beginning, I was doing some reseller boxes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't usually announce it publicly. I like on Instagram, I, from people who I've connected with, mm -hmm. they were buying directly from me. So I'd sell them 50 pieces at a time for like five to $10 a piece, depends on what the boxes were. Um, because I wanted to make sure other people were surviving as well because right. they may not have had access to this and like you know they had a family to take care of and like I just have me to take care of and so I was I was helping other resellers but not publicly only ones right like here and there so like I did that for a while which it did help to supplement part of that income and getting rid of that um obviously thread up was huge last year for mm -hmm. so many resellers um I'm on a bad list so I can't sell on thread up right now um but <laughs> basically like I, I would send so much stuff to ThreadUp and put it in the box because I'm like, I just needed to make my cost back um, through ThreadUp. Um, there wasn't any consignment stores really. And also at one point I was, I, I jumped ahead and ordered so much that I, I still have stuff from last year. I don't have that much, most of it was, but I ended up moving in April and I found things from last March that I had ordered still in my storage unit that I like they were just it was it was one of those bulk brands it was like from one of my men's palettes and it is an item that it's a brand that just won't sell it's called weatherproof vintage okay. and like it moves but it doesn't move and I had like 300 items sitting in storage so when you do liquidation you're going to get that uh my favorite liquidation palette it was a thousand items which sounds fantastic 600 of those items were the Nordstrom branded BP t-shirts Oh, I remember you posting about that. So that was all like 600 of, of those items. That's what it was. Um, I sold some to a screen printing shop. Um, I bundled them in lots of three by size and sold them that way. And then half of them I donated to Goodwill because I just had so many and I couldn't do, which I felt bad about because I'm like, what do I do with this? And I tried to get rid, like I tried to sell it and to transfer it, but sometimes it's like, it's just taking up space. And I knew I'm not going to make money, any more money, or I can't invest my time because my time is my most valuable asset into mm -hmm. continuing to try to figure out how to move this product. That is genius to sell it to a, um, a screen printing company of some sort, or, you know, just looking outside. Maybe, of the, sure. Yeah. Right. It's true. Like just looking outside, like maybe a school would have needed them for something, you know, if schools were going on, you know, you, there's so many different resources out there you could reach out to, but I would... Did you feel defeated when you opened up your box? And you know it's unmanifested, right? So you never know what you're going to get. But when you open that box and you saw 600 of these t-shirts, were you like, what What did I just buy? What is this? Because I, I mean, feel like that would be me. <laughs> it is because it's like you, I mean, let's be, this was my second box that I bought. And this was before 
other resellers really knew about this source yeah and knew so like to be i'm going to tell you how much i paid for it. i paid 700 dollars for this palette which is ridiculous like that is, that is you cannot buy a palette today cheap. for 700 dollars <laughs> this was a nordstrom last chance palette for 700 dollars, and there's no way you can do that today no um and this like i said this was i got in at the very start when they started doing these so when i found it so yes was i upset that there was that many shirts no, because of the dresses. There was one dress in there that paid for the whole palette. Right. So like, I, I wasn't upset. I just had to figure out how to get rid of it and process it because of those other items. And like I said, that was, part of it was more luck of when I started getting into it, um, as well as like, it just to show that just because you buy a box of liquidation doesn't mean it's all amazing and fantastic. Like why one of the last palettes I bought um, was basically, it was, I think, 600 items and 400 of them were bound sweaters from Nordstrom, which is a Nordstrom Rack brand. Yeah, and I still have those ones. So like, that's that was most of the palette. Um, and so that one I'm actually, I may break even because I have one item at the real real that I'm hoping will sell yeah. as soon as it gets pulled because that will pay for the whole palette that I bought for that one. Right. But you know, sometimes not everything is roses in that. And sometimes you get, you get a lot of damage. So like, I still have a box sitting over here of items that I need to repair that I just haven't done that I need to get repaired. That are actually those piles. It's yeah. like, do I so. really want to repair you? Like, is it really worth it? And some items are worth it, right? It's even if you're going to yep. a thrift store, you find certain items and it's worth it to repair it, to take a little time and fix it. Um, and then there's just some items that you're just going to stare at forever and be like, mm, I just, nope, nope. Yeah. And then donating it or I'll ask people like, do you, do you just want this? Do you want it? Just take it, pay for shipping and take it. Like, yeah. you know, and, and I think you're going to get that whether it's liquidation or you're going to thrift stores or the bins, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. There's going to be items that you're going to repair, things you don't like after you buy them. And you're like, why did I get you? Why, why are you sitting here in this bag for the last three months? Like it happens now. I would say that you were like, you were kind of lucky that you started before everyone else because you had a good idea of like, okay, I get this. I know I, I can do this. I can pivot yep. and do it. So that was good. Yes. Now, in terms of the amount of items that you were getting, so let's talk about like volume selling and being a bit more curated and maybe controlling the amount of items that you have in your eBay store, your Poshmark closet. Like for me, I'm definitely more curated. I wouldn't say I have like one specific style that I buy, but there's definitely categories that I stick to. And I like to keep it like the five, 550 items. Sometimes I really prefer to be less like 300, 350 items, but um, I could never do volume, A, because it just doesn't fit my lifestyle and I work full time and I just couldn't do it. And I don't have the space for it. And I just don't feel like I would enjoy reselling as much if I became a volume seller. And I was doing multiple quantities of things. I feel like I would lose that lust that I have for reselling. Does that make sense? No, I, I absolutely agree. I would say, so part of last year was tough. Like I was in a huge depression. Um, and so, like I said, like the liquidation and the volume was a way for me to maintain getting an income in, yeah. but I wasn't enjoying it. So like liquidation is a lot of work. It's a lot of ways of figuring out what to do. Um, part of my business model is I don't like to go over a thousand items ever. So if I'm hitting, getting close to a thousand items, I, in my mind, I have too many items listed mm -hmm. and too many items available. 
and this is just my specific business model. So my goal is to try to sell as much inventory as I can when that happens, because I'm like, I go back and I look at it. Um, now that I've been reselling for two years, there it falls into two different categories. One, there's the seasonal items. So obviously we're in the middle of summer right now. I still have a lot of sweaters left over. Yeah. They were listed usually towards the end of the season. So I'm not too worried about those items because they're going to carry over and they'll still at the beginning of the right. season. But if I have them at the end of next season, then that'll, that'll be different. Um, but I have a lot of spring and summer items right now that have been listed through one season and are already partway through a second season. I don't want to hold on to those items for another season. So I will start to bring the prices down. And within a week or two, if those items don't move, I'm actually going to pull them all and take them to a local consignment store um, or a buy, sell, trade store and make my cost and maybe a little bit of money back on those. Because my goal is I don't want those items to continue to take up space within my inventory and to share them. Because every time you share or like it's, it's money being spent to store them, mm -hmm. to share them, all of that. And so I only want items that are going to move within 90 days for the most part. So when I think about volume nowadays, like liquidation was great, but I didn't have control. Um, I enjoyed part of like when I got the box and I went through it, right. but the rest of the process was not fun and enjoyable for me. Um, and the point was just to move it. Um, and luckily a lot of it just moved itself. Um, again, I was extremely lucky, but I also wasn't enjoying it as much, um, yeah. which is interesting to where I've pivoted this year. So that opportunity for liquidation kind of dried up in December of last year. Okay. And so the first six months of this year, I have been throwing darts randomly at a dartboard and not hitting bullseye at all. Mm -hmm. um, so my favorite venture that I did this year was I bought 1300 pounds of purses and accessories. Okay. For $1,000. How did not that a single, Not a single one of those items ever made it into my eBay or Poshmark store for listings. Every single piece of them was destroyed, damaged, um, and it did not work out. So when, when people say about liquidation, not all liquidation is great. Um, sometimes you will come across things and you think it's a great idea and you'll throw money at it to give it a try and it will not work out at all. Um, I actually filmed part of it, but I just, I just couldn't bring myself to put it up on YouTube, even though I think it would have made great content. I just, it was... I basically wasted that money and didn't make any money off of it. And that, ha that has happened numerous times this year for me of where I have bought stuff and I've barely made my money back on it. Um, so in terms of liquidation, last year was super easy. This year has been really tough for liquidation and to try to find the sources that work. There's still one, one source that's not an Instagram liquidation that works for me. Um, I don't buy from them often, but they're available. I know they're a backup if I need it. Yeah. Um, to run my business through liquidation, but I've actually transitioned my business away from liquidation. Um, and basically in June, I actually just started because um, I'm vaccinated. And so I feel comfortable going out and I'm going back to the bins again. So I'm actually switching my business model and pivoting again, because what happened, what was worked for me last year, didn't, hasn't been working the first part of the year. Luckily I had some leftover liquidation that I was still going through and this year has just been throwing darts, seeing, trying every single Instagram liquidation again, seeing if they work for me. Um, but now I've switched to, I am mainly now a bin seller again. 
because I can go back to the bins. So um, my model is usually twice a week, I'll go to the bins for five hours each trip. Um, I get as much inventory that I feel that I can sell as well as I think about the other sources that I developed last year of moving inventory on what I can grab for those sources as well. So I think that's one benefit of doing the liquidation is I figured out how to move inventory in lots of different ways that didn't require me yep. to, move, to actually photograph. And I think the most important thing as a reseller is that you don't necessarily have to be the one selling this stuff to make the money. Yes, exactly. There's so many ways to do it. And um, I'm a bit of a control freak because I like my stuff and I like to have control of everything. And I like to know where, you know, how things look and whatever. I have learned that it doesn't matter. I just gotta make money, right? Like it, I just send it off, do what you gotta do, give it to a consignment store, send it into the real real, do whatever. You just gotta make the money. Just buy low yeah. and sell as high as you can. The end, whether it's you doing it or someone else, because guess what? My time is way more valuable than me sitting here for 10 hours a day on my time off of work, right? And yep. doing all these reseller tasks, which I enjoy doing to an extent. I still want to have a life. Like, yes. I do just want to sit down and do nothing. Like, that. that's great if I could do that. So um, learning to use these different avenues to make income, I think is something that everyone should look into, whether you're just starting out or you're a veteran reseller because you can come into these at any point in time in your journey as a reseller. Exactly. And that's, a, and I feel like that's part of being successful. It's like, you're going to have your key platform or two. So like Poshmark and eBay are my two platforms. I've been selling on Macari, but I've decided a few weeks ago that I'm actually going to stop selling on Macari because I ran the numbers and the amount of time that I spend on Macari and the, and what I make on there, they don't line up whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I can either continue to try to make it work or I can just cut it off and focus in on what I know is going to work. Yeah. So my bread and butter is eBay um, by far. Um, Poshmark is a close second. Um, once in a blue moon, it'll pass eBay. Um, but I've actually switched. I've edited my business model slightly again this month. And part of it is because I do have access to the bins. Um, and I am going and I'm able to curate. So my goal is if I'm not able to sell it within preferably a month, I don't want to pick it up for me to sell. That doesn't mean I don't pick up items to take to consignment stores or for these other places or more long tail items that will move in other ways. They're just not for me to specifically list. Um, so I came, one method I've been using is um, uh, the looking at the 90 day sell through rate on eBay. So within the eBay app, when you are sourcing, you type in a description. Let's say you want a Love Shack fancy skirt. You type it in and you see all the items that are for sale. If you go and you switch the filter to sold, yep. it, what it is, is you can look at the number because it'll tell you how many number. Let's say there's 100 Love Shack fancy skirts that are available for sale. You switch to sold and it says there's 200, 200 that have sold. That sold number shows that 200 of them have sold within the last 90 days right. of it, which means if you pick up that item, there's only hundred that should sell within 45 days or less Correct. for that. So I've been using that method of sourcing of how many have actually sold compared to how many are actively listing on eBay when I'm picking up items. Um, and I would say the past three weeks that I've been doing this, my sales have increased 
And there is no such thing as a summer slowdown for me right now because of this method. And it is working extremely well. And it, I am picking up items that I wouldn't have imagined. Mm -hmm. So it, this one is actually dying. You may be able to still make some money off of it, but men's cargo shorts, mm -hmm. who knew? Mm -hmm. they, it has like, it, it, you post a pair of men's cargo shorts, doesn't matter the brand. I've sold an Abercrombie, I've sold a Columbia, American Eagle. Like they have moved within a week of me listing them. And I would have never picked them up because I'm like, who wears cargo shorts? This isn't right. Justin Sarah anymore. Right. Um, so <laughs> somebody messaged me that on Instagram. They're like, this is in Dawson's Creek. Um, <laughs> Dawson's Creek, that's so funny. <laughs> I was like, it's so true. I'm like, who's, who's Seventh heaven, you know. <laughs> yeah, which I think is important because like sometimes we get so caught up on brands or we get so caught up on trends or what is important. Like that information, it's great to know, but it depends on who you're selling to. If you're on Depop, they're important, some on Poshmark as well. Mm -hmm. But there are core items that no matter what are always going to sell and move and understanding what those sell-through rates and how quickly those items are moving to me are actually more important than understanding the, the trends. Because the chances of you depends on how you get your inventory. If you're sourcing through thrift stores, the chances of you finding these trends are limited. You can find them, but that's not the bulk of what's going to be in your thrift stores. And so I always say you need to understand what is in your local environment that you can take and resell. So you may, like, I just moved to Portland. Portland has Nike, Adidas, Columbia. They're all headquarters here, which means that all those employees, employees of any retail establishment are going to be their number one buyers of items, which means they're curating and they're going through their, they're donating more items on a regular basis. So I've never been big on athletic clothing, but I am now because I live in Portland and there's, you come across athletic clothing. Um, if you live like in Maine, you have L.O. Bean. Like there is, Garnet figure Hill. out what, yeah. Garnet Hill's another like, one. They're all there and specific things within those brands sell. And it's just doing the research to figure out what items are going to move very quickly so that when you are at the thrift stores, you're looking for those specific items within that brand. Because we know not everything's going to sell within a brand, but cargo shorts within the brand are going to sell. So you pick it up or yeah. you like this, like this hoodie is going to sell whenever I come across it. And you don't share that publicly because you've done the research, you've done that and you know, but that's just a way for you to continue to make money and you can still go after those trends and find those other things. But if you want to make money, sometimes you have to do the research to figure out what is actually selling that mm -hmm. other people aren't necessarily buying. And I think this, this is the difference too, between like a hobbyist, right? Cause there are a lot of yes. hobbyist resellers that do it cause they love shopping and they love finding clothes and they want to give it a second life. And that's great. And that business model works for them. But for someone where well, this is your livelihood, this is your full-time income. This is how you survive, right? This is how you pay your mortgage and your car bill, yep. all different things. You have to dig deeper. You need to figure out whether you're doing um, liquidation and volume or you're going into thrift stores and bins, you need to figure out, okay, what does this look like? What is, what's the data telling me? And this is where eBay just surpasses Poshmark and oh, how yeah. people can be so much more successful on eBay than on Poshmark because Poshmark does not give us those tools. Yeah, sure. You can search for a brand in a category and see what's sold, but the, you don't really see anything else. That's all you see is that, okay. And you don't know when they sold, how fast they sold. Correct. That's a thing. You need to know like 
did this sell within the past week or is this like within the past year? Like, I have no idea. Correct. And that's a problem. And that's where you need more of that information. Where on eBay, and this is where as a Poshmark seller, you can use eBay to your advantage is you can search for those specifics. You can look at all the different things. There's Terapeak, which I think is available to everyone now, right? I think it's yes. And Terapeak is amazing. Yeah. I should use it way more than I do. I really don't use it to its full capacity. And I really should. Like I need, and I, I've said this before, um, I need to just take time away from Poshmark, still list, still do all those things, but dedicate hours within my day to really sit down and learn everything about eBay, like immerse myself in eBay content and really understand the data behind it. Like I know the the basics, but I could grow so much more if I took the time to understand it all and, and do exactly what you do search what's sold in the last whatever, 90 days, 60 days, whatever it is in this category, in this category, in this category. And then when I go to the thrift store, I don't feel like I'm always looking for the same things. Or like I can venture and I can try different things and, and have a quicker sell-through rate on items and not house as much in when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply my space like exactly that's where I'm heading towards too I've always had I've always liked uh 60 to 90 day turnaround time on items there are certain pieces that I will hold on to no matter what because I know the right buyer will come along right like yeah certain brands and certain pieces certain styles that I could never part ways with because I want to sell that to someone I don't want to ship it off to anyone I don't want to donate it I want to do any of that I don't want to mark it down I'm gonna wait then there are other pieces where I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Why did I even get this in the first place? That. It doesn't work for me, <laughs> right? Yeah. These not every piece works for everyone. There is a brand that I talk about often, and it's J Jill. And I think people forget that J Jill has a big following, and their linen pieces are very sought after. Yes. It is, and the quality is great. There is nothing wrong with the J Jill piece. It's like a, it's like a Chico's, right? Like there are certain pieces yeah. of Chico's that do really well. And I think people knock some of these brands, like, but it's it's considered like a mall brand, right? People want it. Yeah. People want it. Not everyone wants the Gucci and Versace of the world, right? Like, and who's gonna who's finding those Gucci's? I've never found a Gucci in the wild. I have never found one either. I found shoes, but that doesn't count. Shoes don't count. I want to find an actual Gucci dress, coat, something. I want to find it. I'm never going to find yeah. it. I shouldn't say never, right? Stranger things You're have happened. Right. No, say never. Yep. Yep. Stranger things have happened, but it's not as common unless you're somewhere in New York City and you just happen to stumble across it at the bin somewhere because someone decided yeah. to donate their Gucci collection. But like, it's not as, unless you're paying up a premium and you're going into a consignment store or you are sourcing off the real, real or fashion file, that's basically where you're going to get it right yeah a lot of these luxury pieces um but understanding like you said cargo shorts i say anything linen when it's spring and summer pick up anything that's linen it really the brand doesn't really matter people like linen yeah i just sold a banana republic basic linen button-down shirt for like 25 dollars. there you go so like yeah 
paint, like the fabrics do, just like cashmere. Like, mm-hmm. are you going to make tons of money off that one item? Like, I have a Cynthia, a Cynthia Raleigh cashmere hoodie that I found at the bins, and I, I'll list it. I'll probably make thirty to forty dollars off it, which is perfectly fine for it. Um, which I'm not complaining about. But it's understanding your fabrics, the trends. And I feel like another misconception of like I that I do do all my research on eBay and I ignore Poshmark. That information that you're getting on eBay, so much of that actually transports over to Poshmark. Mm-hmm. And when like, for example, free people, I there was a while where I had tons and tons of free people. Like I had like hundreds of it, more of it sold on eBay than on Poshmark. So when Why people are think- like, be well because I struggle with free people it's yeah I mean luckily it was all new with tags that I had and I you know my pricing strategy is when I'm running comps I look at the bottom like tenth of the comps for what they're sold at and I price similar my goal is to sell my item close to that so because I want to move my items um I don't price at the top end of comps Mm. I price where if somebody is searching for my item I want it to come up, um, which we can actually talk about that specifically around uh, impressions and business strategies on how, like when you are creating your listings, like my goal is I want my item to be one of the first items that come up on eBay. And that is a price that when you look at the comparing prices that you're like, that's a good price and I want to buy it. Yeah. Um, And so it's like understanding how people search on the different platforms I think is important and how people search on Poshmark and how they search on eBay is very different because on Poshmark you can when most people probably have their sizes set they have they're searching on there but you can't set your sizes on eBay and so it's like how you create your titles and how you structure for SEO is extremely important and again that's why I focus on eBay instead of Poshmark because by doing those for eBay I'm able to take that and transfer it over to Poshmark and still be successful but I'm aiming to please the eBay algorithm. And to, like I said, if my item shows up on that first page of eBay and it's the best price for the size that they're looking for, more than likely they're going to buy my item compared to somebody else's item on that page. That's so true. And so I'm sitting here like thinking to myself, like you're a jerk, Danielle, and you price everything really high on Poshmark. But I feel like that's the culture on Poshmark is that you have to price that 20, 25% higher because of offers and all these different things. That's the culture on Poshmark. But I've never thought about taking that and when I'm cross-posting it to eBay, um, adjusting to the platform. So I know when I search on eBay, I'm always searching by price. Always searching by price. I'm doing lowest lowest to highest and I'm looking within and I whatever my title has like I don't know I'm looking for a little lemon size 12 leggings like that's what's going in my title because I know that's how eBay works why I don't do that when I'm cross-posting I don't know I think it's one extra step that I've just never thought about adjusting my price accordingly maybe it's because I get nervous and I shouldn't get nervous about this. this is really dumb to even say out loud but um, that people will see, like when they're Google searching and they're going to see my listing, they're going to say the see, they're going to see the same image, right? Basically on Poshmark and eBay and say, why is it $50 on Poshmark? But she has it here on eBay for 30. I, I don't know. It's a mental. Then they'll buy it on eBay, which is perfectly fine because you're paying less fees than you are on Poshmark. So it's a win for you. I need to like get over the whole, like Poshmark's my main platform nonsense. That's what I need to do. Yeah. And I do price higher on Poshmark. So I, I take into account that everyone's going to receive a 20% off with a shipping discount for the right. majority of the items. 
And so I do price to keep that into account so that it's like, once that is applied, the price is going to be similar to what I have it listed on eBay. Um, or if somebody counters that. Um, so I think it's under figuring out your pricing in which are you pricing for eBay? Are you pricing for Poshmark? And then adjusting to that specific platform, but also like your title. So when I build my title, I build everything on eBay and I build, it's always brand, then the size next. And the reason for that is because I do promoted listings. And if you click on an item in your scroll and you scroll down a little bit on eBay, there's two rows. It says similar items and items from the seller. Okay. And when you're looking at that, the the item title on those two specific items don't show the full title. And mm -hmm. so what you want to is ensure that if somebody is, they're going to see the picture, they want to see the brand. And I put the size so they know that that item is their size. Because if you don't see the size, sometimes you'll click into it and it's not your size. And that's frustrating as a buyer. And you don't want, and like, you're just going to click back out of it. And so if you, you only want people to click through, if they know for sure that this is that an item for them. And so I found out by putting my size second and then all the rest of the descriptor items, which is fine, then they're going to see that size first. And I think that's important uh, when it shows up. So if they don't use the radio buttons when they put in their search, or if they don't put in the size, then they are going to see, yes, this item is my size. Um, as well as, like I said, I do promote a listing. So that helps to get my items up onto that first page. Um, the biggest change I've made on eBay is I actually accept returns and I switch to one day shipping. And so because of that, my impressions have shot up dramatically. And so many of my items now end up on that first page. And I've been against returns. Like you, like I hate returns. Nobody likes returns. No one likes but what it. I've learned on eBay is by doing that, they put your listing, your listing, you're basically paying to be boosted up in the listing category so that more, when people search, your item is more likely to show up on that first page than any other time. And the amount of my first page impressions have more than doubled since wow. I switched. And so, like I said, it's like you search for free people on eBay. There's like 25 thousand listings for free people only imagine which is crazy and yeah. so it's like how do you if you want your item to move how do you get your item in front of that person who is searching for your item to buy your item because we know that there's multiple some items they're just it's saturated on the market mm -hmm. and you want your item to stand out so that they buy your item compared to somebody else's item or that it shows. And so like I've been switching my business model to focus in on those pieces. How do I get my item in front of that buyer as quickly as possible once I create it so that my item will sell within that first week? Right. Because I don't want to hold on to it. That's my money. It is. It's money <laughs> yeah. and time. The yeah. longer it sits, the less money you're going to make on it. Point blank. Yep. Because you have to pay storage fees. Mm -hmm. Like we, we don't think about it because it's like if you're storing in your house, you're paying rent and it's flat. But that piece in your storage is taking up space for another item that can move. Correct. Correct. And so when I say I don't like to go over a thousand items, it's because I'm trying to move through my items so that it makes sense. And I'm not paying as much per item to store or to think about it or to share because it's already out and moved through. And that's part of the cost. And we need to get rid of sharing. We're just going to go that out. There. Oh, I mean, <laughs> everyone should just use a bot. I mean, I've yes. been using a bot since my second month on Poshmark. So for a year and 11 months, I've been using a bot 
and I've never looked back. And I don't, you asked me how much time I spend on Poshmark. It's literally just accepting offers and shipping and I don't do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I go on there to answer any questions, right? Like you look at the comments. Oh, um, are we supposed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I am horrible oh. at answering questions. Yes. Answering questions. Uh, customer service. Come on, Steven. You worked in retail. I know. I mean, sometimes it's like if people ask for sizes and it's in the listing, I'm just like, nope. Oh, yeah, I, don't I don't answer those. No, no, no. Yeah. Or like, hey, can you model this? No. No. No, no. I'm not modeling anything. Yeah. Um, or my favorite is any flaws. I just got that as I was talking to you. And I'm like, it's, I have the description in there in photos. Like, yeah. Like, yep. and more than likely, anyone who asks those questions usually don't buy the item. It's very true. They usually don't. Yeah. You're right. Even people that ask for measurements, I'm going to tell you right now, you can have measurements in the listing and people are still going to ask for other measurements. And I very rarely does someone buy from me. Yes. They ask for additional measurements. Very rarely. Oh, I tell them no. I'm not afraid to tell people no. I've told people on eBay many times that this item is not the correct item for you and I wish you luck. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have. They've asked because they'll ask all these questions. I'm like, you know what? Unfortunately, this sounds like this item is not a great fit for you. Um, it, there are other items as well that are available on eBay and they're probably going to be, they're going to be best. And one lady was like, thank you so much. I appreciate this honest feedback. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you, you never hear from them again, but right. yeah. That's exactly. funny. I never thought about that. I don't know. You, you talking about eBay and stuff just makes me think about my, my business model and how, um, I, I, my growth is not stagnant, but I feel like it is slowed down because I focus so much time on Poshmark. Um, yes, Poshmark brings me in the majority of the money every month. However, I think if I dedicated the same time to eBay, took the time to understand the platform and adjusted everything the way that I need to for eBay, I, I think I'd be in an even better situation, um, and reach my goals so. faster than what yes. I have now. Because anything you do on eBay by doing that will transfer over to Poshmark. Like my sales on Poshmark, like they are higher than they have been in the past few months. And I, which is actually shocking to me because mm. I'm like, how is this, how is that number higher? And it's, and I feel like it's because of the work I've been doing on eBay. It's they're the same sellers for the most part. Like sometimes, yes, some of your sellers on eBay are going to skew to a, a older demographic yes. at times, mm. but there are a wide variety. eBay has more customers. And so you still get the Gen Zs, you get the millennials, you get all of them on eBay. So it does transfer over to Poshmark because no matter how Poshmark shows that they are a social media, they're about community, they're a business who makes money and they're exactly the same thing as eBay. In my mind, they're not, they're not different at all, except they take a higher percentage of my fees. They take a much higher percentage, much yeah. higher percentage and require more work in terms yes. of like taking the time share now yes i laurie and i talked about the last not last episode episode before we talked about posture va and how we both use it and everything so yes a big chunk of our time is now freed up because of that but it still requires you to go into the app like i said answer questions you know counter an offer all this kind of stuff which yes you do on ebay but i just feel like ebay is just more simple i feel like i have more full price sales on ebay i feel like i have less of the same drama and issues that i have on poshmark i don't have on ebay like it's just yeah. like, and I have a lot of international buyers, like, which is great. Yes, I have international huge. buyers, which is amazing. I have, I've had things go to Australia. 
um, England, China, like you name it, they've gone all over the world and it's so great to see that. Yeah, it's awesome because they can't, they're able to get things that they can't get otherwise mm -hmm. by going on to eBay. And like so many of my sales are international buyers and it's great because it's like, they're not able to do that on Poshmark. Um, I've bought things from the UK of like their, my favorite brand is Cost. Um, and from in, in terms of like an actual store and sometimes they only have things available in the UK that aren't available in the US. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I will find them and buy them so that I have that because I want that. Usually they do the more unique pieces that are available there instead of here. So, um, but yeah, in terms of volume, it's like you can be a volume seller and move through inventory quickly once you start doing the research. And there's items that I pick up that I don't care about sell through. I don't care about anything. It's just, I love the item. Mm -hmm. And I we am going to pick it up. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that is, that is for me. I love it. I'm going to photograph it and I'm going to have it listed in my store because when I see it, it'll make me happy. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, my kids but, fighting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, they're fighting with each other. So I was like, stop it. I threw something, I threw a little cloth that I had at them and they stopped. <laughs> yeah. But I anyway. think for anyone, even if you're not a volume seller, I think the more learning how to use the data that is available to make informed decisions is going to help your business. So if you are a trend seller or you only like, or you only buy very specific items, understanding the nuances within those items could be a huge, huge difference within your business. Um, but I, to me, the most important things are your title, your SEO, your price, if it moves or not. So I, I hear so many people are like, oh, why are you like, it's not moving. And like more than likely, it's probably your price if everything else is set. And that depends on your business model. If you're, if you're willing to sit on the item, great. Um, there is an item that I have on eBay that are on Poshmark. It's sold on Poshmark only, not on eBay at all. There, it is a flooded market with that dress. There are tons of them. I'm the lowest price on it. Am I, because I, I had 20 of them mm. and I just wanted to move them. And am I, I can't be upset that I have the lowest price or be concerned about the market because one, that dress will die out and nobody else will have that dress. Right. But I don't want to sit on that dress for another year or two. Plus, because there, when an item is saturated and there's so many of it, you're not going to, like, you may get one, you may sell your item, but the chances of it are slim. Yeah. And so it's like, do you want the sell or do you want to hold on to the item for a long period of time? So if you do have an item that it is saturated within the market, price it accordingly to move. That's my, like, that's my word of advice. But again, you're going to do what you need to do for your business. But if you go on eBay and you're like, there's 50 of this item, like, what are you going to do? Like, you, if it's not something that is moving daily or quickly, which like if it's a Patagonia item, like, yeah, don't worry about pricing that low. Like, that's fine. Like, it's going to move eventually for whatever price you have it at. But if it's a seasonal, like this is a very clearly summer dress that within a month, I'm not going to sell, like I'll still have 10 left over and I'm not going to sell them until next year. And they're just yeah. going to sit and take up space. And that's definitely something that I think if you've gone through the volume selling process that you understand better too, where all right, I have 20 of these pieces. There's 
about 18 other resellers that I've seen so far that have 20 of the same pieces too. What, what am I going to do? What am, how am I going to stand out? How am I going to make this model work from, for me and my business so that I'm yeah. making my costs and have money left over, you know, to quote unquote yeah. self. Um, where I think where like for me, it's a little different because I'm picking one pair of jeans and another pair, you know, it, it's just yeah. it's a different model. It's just a different model, but I still want to sell my items. I just, yeah, the, I, I have to be better at adjusting to the platform and I've thought about it and I think I'm going to start making this transition instead of listing on Poshmark first, I'm going to start listing on eBay first, which I don't do right now, which I should and, and then do it that way. And I think I will see a difference. Hopefully, I mean, it's been successful for me and my model. I it's hope it'd be successful for everyone. It's successful yeah. for everyone. Everyone that does eBay to posh, they're successful. <laughs> everyone yeah. that I've talked to. And and it makes sense. It makes sense. For it. So yeah, so volume selling has been fun. I've learned. So I guess I'm still a volume seller because I still pick up 200 to 300 pieces a week mm. of clothing at the bins. And I move them in different ways. But the difference now is those 200 to 300 items that I'm picking up, I know exactly where that item is going. If I'm listing it, if I'm moving it through a different yeah. channel of mine, I know very clearly where that item is going instead of getting it blindly and deciding after the fact of where to do that. So I actually envision that I'm going to, my business will grow this year because of that, because I have full control over the inventory that's coming in instead of blindly coming in and figuring out what to do with it after the fact. Like I don't pick up an item that, doesn't have a very clear purpose of where it's going or what I'm going to do with it. If it's, if it's in after my sort, if it's in my cart and it's being weighed at the bins, like it has a clear home. And like, if you were in my room right now, like it is a disaster. It is always a disaster because there's like piles of everywhere. Like this is going here. This is going here. These are being photographed. Um, but that's how I run my business. And like I said, like, I list around 150 items a week. Um, and I usually, my schedule right now is um, Monday, I ship, I list 20 items and I go to bins. Tuesday and Wednesday is shipping and listing all day. And I try to do 20 to 40 listings each day. Thursday, I, again, it's the same as Monday where it's like, I ship, I'll list like usually 10 because I'm usually getting burned out by the end of the week. And I'll go to the bins and then Friday is listing again. And then on the weekends, I'm trying to only work like three hours each day mm. so that I have that balance. And I'm also trying to cut my days. So I'm done at five or six and then I'm don't work the rest of the evenings. And I didn't do that last year. I didn't have a schedule of any sorts. And I'm trying that this year um, as it's not working now that it's noon and I'm work technically working, but it's also 115 degrees and there's nothing to do outside so it's either I watch tv or I list 10 items which I'll probably list 10 items because I, I want money to pay off my student loans <laughs> amen to that my friend that yeah. is the only <laughs> I can't wait to not have that bill anymore and it's like you know some people resell specifically for that some people resell as their full-time job for me it is to pay down my student loan it is to save money for my future for our future home for my retirement like that's why I do this but in order for me to reach those lofty goals that I have I got to get better and just and we all do right we just we're constantly evolving we're constantly changing our business models we're constantly finding what works for us and it's so fun to sit down with people that do this full time and hear their perspective on things and what they're doing because then it helps me kind of figure out 
okay, well, so-and-so did it this way. And all right, well, let me try it. Let me see. Let me see if that works for me. And maybe it won't. Who knows, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's good to reevaluate your business and, and have a plan in place. So I think a schedule is, first and foremost, everyone should have a schedule. If this is your full-time job, doing it 24 hours a day isn't healthy and it's not good. Um, nope. You should set a schedule for yourself as you would if you worked in the private or public sector. You have a, I have a schedule. It's 8.30 to 4 every day. That is yep. Monday through Friday. And I get, and I get my breaks, right? You should do the same thing. And now it's a little, you can be a little more lenient with yourself. You know, you can say, okay, on Mondays, I want to start at 10 AM. You know, I want to sleep in. I want, you know, I'm going to have my coffee and everything. I'm going to start from 10, but I'm going to work until whatever, five, six, whatever time works for you. And um, I think that's great that you've established a schedule for yourself. Cause I think it, it, it puts you in a better place mentally too, that you, okay, these are my times that I'm designated to work. And then after that, I can do what I want. Maybe I want to go for a walk. Maybe I want to get a coffee. Maybe I want, you know, whatever yeah. it is, walk the dog, what, whatever it is. Maybe I want to go out to eat and sit outside and watch everyone walking by because who doesn't love doing that when the That's weather's nice? Yeah, exactly. Yes, when it's not 115. Yeah. When it's not 115, correct. Which is just right. <laughs> and if you talk to me in six months, I'm sure my business model will be very different. And I think you mentioned the most important word is to pivot and understand when to pivot. And like, I felt like I should have probably pivoted my business earlier. I just didn't feel comfortable sourcing in person until recently. And Which so like, fine. and now that I'm able to pivot, like I'm actually excited about my, about being a reseller again, because for a while I was just felt like I was going through the motions. And so like the past month I've been excited about going out and like the passion is reignited mm. and it's showing like when you're excited about what you're doing, it shows in so many different parts of your business and your life. And like, I'm, I finally hit my goal, my profit goal for the first time since January. And so I was very excited. Yeah. And so, which is good because now I own a home and I have to pay for this house somehow. So yeah. I got to hit my profit goal gotta or I got to get a job. <laughs> yeah. It's either that it's like either I hit my goal or I get a job. And so yeah. it's like, it's motivation to do it. Yeah. And there's something to be said about being your own boss too. Like there's just such an intrigue yeah. in, you know, owning your own business and all, all of that. You know, I think back to, you know, my dad, my mom, my grandparents that came here from Italy and that, you know, to them owning a business was like, that was amazing. I mean, that was just not a possibility in, in, in Italy where they're from because everything, it's a farm country where my family's from. So they all farm and they produce things so that they can eat. I mean, that's, that's what they yeah. do. If you want a real job, you have to travel an hour or two into into the city, go to Rome, go to Naples, and you know then you got to travel back home, and you got to make sure you have enough money to do all that. So you know it was a very different world for them, and um, entrepreneurship is always something that's been instilled in me, and it's a part of me that I don't think I'll ever like. It, owning something will always be something that I do, right? Like it's never going to yeah. go away. It's just getting better at it. So let's talk about um, you don't have help. No. Nope. Just Which I think people are going to be crazy. They're going to be like, what do you mean you don't have help? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I currently don't have help. I had a VA. I've had two VAs. Um, one of them, both of them lasted, well, the first one lasted a month. The second one lasted a month and a half. Um, and a part of it is I'm a control freak, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. But part of it is I felt like the time that they were spending, there were some things that were helpful and some things that weren't helpful, but one thing that I feel like is one of the most important pieces that's harder to teach people 
is your title. Your title when it comes to eBay is your most, is like one of the most important things that you can do. Because again, your goal is to get that item in front of that person searching. And your title is one way to do that. Your photos, um, there's lots of different factors, but that title is important. And if you're outsourcing that title to somebody else to create for you, sometimes you're doing yourself a disservice mm. because they may not have the same, they don't have the same breadth that I have of knowledge around brands of items, of item descriptions. And that became very apparent from both of my VAs that I had where they were doing a good job, but they weren't doing the job to the level that I needed them. And it would have taken them a year or two to get to that level. And I didn't have time to spend to train them to get that. If you have time and you find a VA that's able to do that, great, absolutely. Um, do I still think that you can have a VA doing things for you? Yes, there, there are things that I find myself doing that I'm like, oh, I should probably eventually get somebody to start mm -hmm. to doing this. Um, but for my, I would love to have somebody just photograph for me. Yeah. And then I would list the items um, because I feel like, like I said, the description and how you build your, your listing is the most important thing because that's how you're connecting with your buyers. And so making sure if you do have a VA that you are clearly going through and analyzing their work um, and what they're doing, I'm actually to a point where I actually may get a VA again in the sense where it's like, I will build the title and the description and they'll go through and click all the boxes. Mm -hmm. on eBay but even going through that I go through so I when I do eBay I do a lot of uh sell similar so mm -hmm. I'll go to somebody I'll go to an item that sold of, that I have okay. and I hit oh I have one of these to sell and you hit sell now the benefit of that is most of the time if they filled out all the little drop boxes they're already populated for that item oh. so you don't have to fill as many of them out but one thing when you're doing that you realize that a lot of them people enter the most random things into them or they don't select the boxes. And I'm really big on if the option is not available on eBay, do not select the box. Because what that means is if somebody is searching for it, eBay is not going to show that option as a clickable item right. for them to search on. So when you're typing in a fabric, sometimes, but I noticed my VA did this for a while and I kept, and she kept on it after I told her not to, this is the one of the reasons she's not with me right now is she would still put in the whole fabric so she would like she would just copy the fabric from the description and put it into the box instead of going through and clicking oh. the boxes and at times when you're searching on ebay sometimes what they'll do at the very bottom they're like they will give you the options of cotton cotton blend and if you don't have that box checked then the, your item's not going to show up there so understand like that's why i say it's like understanding the data and how people search or how ebay shows the information to people is the most important thing to get your items seen this episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So. Um, so yeah, so I know you asked about employees or VAs, so but maybe fine, down the road, but helpful. yeah, <laughs> hey, I like maybe one day, but I feel like I need somebody physically and I just don't have the space 
to let them into my house to photograph or to do those things yet. So maybe one day, but right now, like I'm just too much of a control freak as well. And I know if I probably gave some of this up, I could probably be more successful. Mm -hmm. um, but I think by modifying my business to suit who I am, to know that it's like, I know I can only list this amount, but I can move these items through these other channels and make money that way, I'm completely satisfied with. Yeah, that's that's kind of my philosophy on it too. I have VA strictly for relisting and cross-posting because those are two functions that I feel like I don't need to do and I don't need to waste time yeah. doing it. Um, so I have no problem paying my VA to relist and to cross-post because those are like mundane tasks that I'm going to pay you. Have fun. I don't want to do yeah. it. I'd rather just, when I come home from work, sit down and do nothing than have to sit yeah. there and cross-post, go to Vendu and cross-post everything. I don't want to do it. So that's great. But when I had a lister, I am a control freak as well. And I found that I would go in, even though I would create the title, right? I'd create the title and I would give them specifics to put in the description. I found that I would still go into each listing and then edit and make it my own. And at that point, why am I paying someone yep. to create my listing if I'm still going in and fixing it every time? Um, why? That's stupid. I don't, I don't need to do that. So um, I stopped because it was just a waste yeah. of my time and a waste of the VA's time and a waste of my money. So yeah, I had to stop. And time yourself. I would say the best decision for you, if you're trying to decide if a VA is correct for you, if you have one, time yourself of how long are you taking to edit their work compared to how long it is? And is there opportunity to train them so that they can modify and improve. And if you train them and continue to give them the feedback to get to that and they're not getting there, it's just not worth your time. Right. And that's what ended up happening with me. Like, I wish I had a VA who can. And part of that is like, I just probably need to pay a VA more than what I was paying a VA to get to the level that I want. And yeah. right now I'm just not like, I, I'm reassessing my business and I'm getting everything back up onto track onto track to where I want it to be. I'll probably revisit it once I have everything back under control and my inventory under control and I'll figure it out then. But right now, like that's not a high priority on my list. And so, yeah, so I've been doing it solo for most of the time and you can be successful in for sure and make a good living. Like yeah. I don't make an amazing living. Like I don't make as much money as I was before reselling. I'm happier. Well, um, I think it's a trade -off. And that's more important, yeah. It depends on what's important to you and what stage you are in life and, and where you are financially. And I mean, there's just where you live, that plays a big part of it too. Are you supporting other people? And, you know, there's so many yep. factors that go into it. Like for me personally, I, I could not live off of just reselling money. Um, I have to have my full-time job, but I also, you know, I, I'm 34, we're looking to buy a house and, you know, there's just this other factors that go into it. And uh, the thing too is where I am, I work for the state. I have really good benefits and I have a great pension system. And I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So to give that up for me right now, where I am in life would, would be a lot. I don't know if I could do it, you know, yeah. but now if, you know, my husband was a millionaire and I'd have to worry about anything, you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't be a concern it's to different. me. Very different. Yeah. It all depends on your circumstance and, you know, eventually want to have children and like, you know, there's all these different things that come into play. Um, I'm not one of the fortunate people that could not work and do this full time to just, you know, and, and the money that you make would be enough. This would not being where I live and, and the cost of life and everything here, it'd be very difficult to do. Could it be done? I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I'm not willing to try it to do it. 
you have a pension. If I had a job with a pension, I probably would still be there too. Mm-hmm. I have <laughs> like a pension. So I have a pension that the state funds. I mean, I fund, but the state funds as yeah. well. And then I have my own 401k through the state as well. So, I mean, and I have my teacher pension from when I was teaching and it's all in the same place. So, I mean, for me to give that up, I mean, I think people forget about that. Everyone's like, I want to go full time. And I think that's great. That's really what you want to do. And you want to be your own boss. I'd never discourage anyone, but these are the factors that you you need to think about. Yeah. I mean, health insurance is expensive. I pay a very small fee for my health insurance. Yeah. Yes. It is. it is. Oh, I finally sold it on Poshmark today. Oh, um, yay! Look at yay. that. I know. So that's funny. <laughs> I was I wondering, have... I was like, oh, is it going to be a zero sale day on Poshmark today? So see, um, and I have the reverse. It's going to be a zero sale day on eBay today. So I like we're in two, two totally different places, but you focus your energy on eBay. Yeah. And in Sundays are usually not because <laughs> I do auctions that end on Sunday. So. Oh, okay. So I auction, if some items are great for auction. So like I have an Arteric jacket on mm-hmm. ending on auction. It's flawed. And that's why I put it on auction. So if you find a high-end item that's flawed, sell it on eBay, put it on auction, and just you will be constantly surprised. I think it's at like $25, which I am perfectly fine with because I got it at the bin. What are your auctions at? 99 cents? Or what do you do? Yep. 99 cents for most. If, because if I'm going to put something on auction like that, I know that it's going to get bids. And the idea is that if you put, you don't want to put everything on auction at 99 cents because that doesn't make sense. But if you know it's a sought after brand, especially Arteric, even flawed, like the lower you start it, the more bids it's going to get and the more Mm. people are going to follow it and bid on it. And um, sometimes it's fun. Like I actually, I sold a random piece of electronic that I found at a thrift store. I was going through it. I only knew it because um, I did actually didn't know what it was, but it looked like it was from the seventies and it was made in Japan. And so it's like any electronics made in the seventies in Japan are going to be sought after. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually texted like vinyls and tapes and like Ooh. their frequencies. Yeah. And I put it out, I started it at 99 cents and it went for over $200. Oh my God. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So don't be afraid to look at electronics. If it looks like it's from the seventies and made in Japan, like most definitely like see if there's comps because mm. more than likely it'll sell but um that's a little fun like there's more than clothing and i know that the yeah. southern i haven't explored it but there is more than clothing so clothing is great but there are so many other items that you can make so much more money than clothing. you know i was talking about this yesterday with amber from amber resells and i said to her there is just so many categories out there that i could be making so much more money on than sitting here and listing a pair of shoes like yep I could go out and look in and actually look in like the electronic section, look at the home goods section and like really search each piece. Probably be really surprised at what I find. Yeah. So, uh, but that, it's interesting. Like, I got to learn a lot. Like that's a lot of learning. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And we start with clothing because so many people know clothing already. And it just shows like the breadth that you have within a specific area, you will be more successful in. And it's like, I'm successful in selling clothing because I know clothing. I sew, I've taken pattern making classes. Like I know intricacies, like I know descriptions. And there's just so many things that go into it. Granted, every, anyone can get into it um, because it's also the most widely available item in right. a thrift store, right. which also means that it's like, don't be afraid to explore other sections that you may not explore. 
because mm-hmm. you'll be surprised. Like I'm exploring athletic wear now, which I know most people which be like, my oh, you haven't done athletic. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I've never walked into the athletic section ever into a thrift store until recently. And now I'm like, oh, now I, but now I'm starting to know what I'm looking for instead of like, none of this makes sense to me. Yeah. So that's how yeah. I feel about the intimates section. Like I buy oh, yeah, no. for the most part. Well, I, it's a little awkward, right? As a man to go in the intimate yeah. section, I get it. Um, yeah. But for me, I like, I just, I'm blown away, blown away by the vintage pieces that people sell in the intimate section. And like, I don't understand any of that. I look at things and I'm like, I don't want to sell a pair of underwear. Yeah. And then don't <laughs> so, do it. That's a, if you don't feel like you want to do something, don't do it because it's just going to sit. Yeah. And you're not going to, yeah. Like I'm sure there's items in here sitting that I haven't done anything with. That I do. I'm looking is. at them right now. They're sitting on the floor right here and I'm just staring <laughs> at them. So, and that's probably where yeah. they stay until I finally get sick of it. And I throw it in a box and send it somewhere and call it a exactly. day or just donate it because that happens too. <laughs> yes. And that's the other thing. So I think that's one thing it's, it's okay to re-donate the items that you purchase. If you're, they're just going to sit mm-hmm. like if they're not bringing you joy, like it's okay like such a cliche saying but it's true (laughs) i have two bags of donations sitting over here and it's like it's okay to donate items that you don't want to list or like it's okay like let it go like focus in on what is going to make you the money Mm. like we can't save everything global warming is happening we i feel like i'm doing the best that i can Mm -hmm. i can't control it a hundred percent I can make changes and I can help, but I feel like I'm doing more than so many other people. Right. It doesn't mean I'm a saint, but it's just like, I also know that it's okay to redonate and to let go of things and that it's not all on me or my responsibility to do it all. And I can only do what I, within my control, within my circle, my sphere of control that I can do yeah. and feel okay with it and accept that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to be mindful of your times. I mean, we could yes. talk for like 18 hours and it is what it is. <laughs> We're just going to um, go on and on. Yeah, right. Welcome to the Never Ending Podcast. <laughs> um, but where, before we go, where do you see yourself in the next three to five years at reselling? Do you think you're going to stay in this space? Like where, where do you see your business going? I have no idea. <laughs> I love that answer. I, love I have that no answer. idea. So if you ask, so I started reselling and I knew that it's not my end point. Yeah, I still don't know where I'm going. Like mm-hmm. part of me, like I've been interested in like Amazon merch, but then part of that is like, it goes back to what I was just talking about. Like I can create Amazon merch, but then it's like, I'm the amount of items that you find in the bins that are like logo or branded that just can't have a second life because they're people aren't going to wear a brand from another right. company. Right. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like companies stop putting your logo or your random event onto a shirt. It's just going to end up in the landfill. And so it's like, I, I, like, I want it, but I don't, because I realize like whatever I create is going to end up in landfill and it's not going to actually help society. And so it's like, so I don't know where my business is going. Um, I know that what I'm doing now is working, but I know I'm going to have to pivot, but I also know that it's not long-term sustainable. Mm. So it's like, I'm trying to figure out long, like ways to make money long-term Mm. In a sense that it's like, I don't believe passive income to me is a non, is non-existent. There's no such thing as passive income right. because you have to work to get to that point. Correct. And then you still have to work to maintain that. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, there's ways that you can make income and continue to maintain that. And I need to figure out more of those ways 
to supplement my business instead of like, if I don't have items listed, they're not selling. And so I'm completely reliant on income of I list it, I sell it, I move on to the next item. I need to figure out how to diversify my income. And I don't know what that looks like. And who knows what that is. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. I don't know where I'm going to be in six months. Like if you asked me if I would be in Portland six months ago, I'd be like, you're funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah. here I am. So, but that's also like my nature. Like I'm just kind of go with the flow and mm -hmm. hope everything works out. Um, I feel like I learned enough in life and, you know, like we talk about privilege in life and it's like, I feel like I have, like I'm privileged. Like mm -hmm. I know I am and it's like, you know, what can I do to that? But it's also, I know that I'm always going to have some sort of income. Or if I want to go work at Starbucks, I'm just going to work at Starbucks and maybe go find me at Starbucks in five years, just making coffee for people again. I because that, that was the best job I've ever had. Yeah. Like just make like the friendships you make and like, we just complicate life so much that it's just like, why, why are we complicating it? Like, why can't mm -hmm. we just enjoy it? Mm -hmm. So like, if you, if I had my choice, like I would just go serve coffee all day to people and I'd I be happy. Yeah. And so like, that's what I want to do. So that maybe you'll find me at a coffee, maybe I'll have my own coffee shop. Who knows? Maybe you'll start your own franchise of coffee shops. Oh, that sounds like so much work. That's see, I don't want too much work. <laughs> that sounds like so much That's work. the other thing too. I'm like, I don't want anything that requires too much work for me to feel pressure. Like that pressure. Like I just, I just want, no, I can't do that. Yeah, I hear <laughs> so, that. So yeah, so I don't know. I mean, now we, see now we went into the whole thing, but yeah. So who knows where I'll be in five years? Who knows? Stay tuned. <laughs> yes, stay, stay tuned. tuned. Talk to me in five years. <laughs> so I'm where alive. can people find you, Stephen, if they don't already follow you on Instagram? And I'm going to leave all of Stephen's information in the show notes too, guys. Oh, so I'm C Fashion Instagram, Guru everywhere. C Fashion Guru yeah, everywhere. C Fashion Guru <laughs> everywhere. Instagram, YouTube. Um, that's it. I don't. I have Poshmark, eBay. It's the same username for that. So you love can it. find me there. I'm on it. I post reseller content. Sometimes I sell athletic wear. Sometimes I don't. Um, <laughs> sometimes I post random musings um, of my random ponderings like I did today. So yes, I yeah. read that. I read your, your <laughs> random pondering. I was like, oh, he's in a mood today. All right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so yeah. So you can follow me. Uh, sometimes I'll talk about, I don't talk about all the data as much sometimes sometimes I think I should so, I think you should I, I think like, you have a real um gift for it and I think you should start talking about it yeah so maybe yeah, maybe. maybe I'll do it. maybe I'll make some <laughs> YouTube videos about it so I think your right. advice you gave today would make great content and people would would watch it because it's a good eBay well, beginner like novice information yes. that people should know yes it so is. you heard it here first and, at Thrifters Villa. Well, no, you didn't, because I learned it from YouTube. Okay, well, you heard it from Steve <laughs> first here, okay? <laughs> yes, exactly. I, and that's the other thing, too. I'm just going to we'll leave on this. Everything that you think is new or hasn't been done has been done. Somebody's done it. Yes. I'm just going to say that, like, we are, everyone is stealing from each other. Everyone is taking content from each other. <laughs> it's already been done, and it's just being taken and maybe put into a different package or something new and what we do with it is our own priority um mm -hmm. recognizing those people who thought of it before who you may have learned it from is also important as well mm -hmm. 
So sometimes it's like my knowledge is just, I've watched so many YouTube videos from people. It's just like, this is how I developed my way. But again, I learned it all from somebody else. And so very few things I think are new and exciting these days. And it's just repackaged and done differently. And so that's just my thought process. I I don't disagree with you. I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) We try to be unique and different, but someone's already done it. We just repurpose it and make it look different. That's all. Yeah. And that's perfectly fine. Yes, it is. Just give credit when credit is due and don't steal people's exact designs. Yeah, don't do that. That's not good. Yeah, that's all. So, okay. (laughs) (laughs) This was so much fun. Thank you so much, Stephen. It was so nice to sit down and talk to you like a regular human using our voice and not typing it out on Instagram. (laughs) And I'm glad that people are able to hear you and your background and what you've done over the last very short time, two years really, and how you've grown and developed and you've made this business your own and it's successful. And I think that's wonderful. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And uh, I will talk to everyone next time with Lori. She had a nice two week break, but she's coming back. (laughs) Bye everyone. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. This is just a reminder that Thrifters Villa's Patreon is officially live. You can find us on patreon.com backslash Thrifters Villa. It is just $5 a month where we're going to offer you bonus content, extra episodes, a free downloadable a month, and live events. So make sure to check us out there and we will see you next week.